Whose church is it? Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we again ask for your Holy Spirit that inspired it to inspire us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When the priests and the leaders came to capture Jesus, in Matthew chapter 26, it says that they came by night. Verse 43 says, And Jesus came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 47 says, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves. What does that mean, swords and staves? It means that it was a rabble multitude. It means that they just got a bunch of people who were unruly. They instigated some violence against Jesus. Staves is like any implement, just like a farm implement or some work tool, big wrench, something. And... They came by night to take Jesus. In the same chapter at the end, it says, verse 74, Then began Peter to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Now, I know something about roosters, having one that I would very much be able to be persuaded to give away to you if you wanted it. And in the morning, it lets me know that it's there because it's having a conversation with the roosters in the area. And they crow in the morning, in the early morning. So while I'm studying or doing something, preparing something, I'm hearing the rooster. This setting was nighttime when Jesus was taken in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they came by night, the Bible says, verse 55, In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief, with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. For fear of the people... who were on Jesus' side. For fear of the people who would not consent to so base an activity, they took Him by night. The Jewish leaders had assumed complete dominance over the church, and they were operating under cover of darkness. Whose church is it? In the book of Matthew 16, chapter 16, verse 18. 
Jesus told Peter, after asking him, who do you say that I am? And Peter saying, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. In the original language, Peter here means a small stone. And upon this rock I will build my church is a large boulder type stone. So there's a different word that he used, which is brought out by the writer, Matthew. Upon this rock I will build, and correct me if I'm wrong, your church, Peter. Is that what it says? What does it say? It says my church. Upon this rock, Jesus clearly told us in Matthew chapter 7, or as recorded in Matthew chapter 7, that I quoted during the children's story, therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And so whoever builds his house upon the words of Christ, the truth of Christ is building upon the rock. But let's not just take our word for that. Let's go to Peter's own description in 1 Peter chapter 2, 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 2, 6 and 7. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Okay, so here's Peter talking about the chief cornerstone. Now, this would be a great time for him to introduce himself as the chief cornerstone, right? be a great time. It's written by Peter, and he's talking about the chief cornerstone. And then it says, Elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Oh, wait, it's believing on the chief cornerstone, not Peter. Verse 7, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed or rejected, the same is made the head of the corner. <clears throat> and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Whereunto also they were appointed. When the temple was rebuilt, they looked around for a cornerstone, one which would bear most of the weight of the building. They had a methodology of testing these stones, but before they tested it, they looked for one that was presumed to bear that test. They saw many large stones which looked very promising. There was one stone which kept getting in their way. They knew it was good for something, they just weren't sure what. It was kind of weathered and beaten and old looking. And it just constantly was a stone of stumbling. You know how it is in construction where you're moving things around. You're like, oh, there's the stone again. And you're backing up and you're bumping into it, trying to get around it. 
and every stone which they thought they presumed would bear up the weight of that temple upon examination with the large weights which they placed upon stones which they thought would bear the building just to make sure they all cracked. They were at a loss for what to do. And so finally, their eyes rested upon this old, weathered, beaten-looking rock. And they tested it, and it wasn't weathered for nothing. (laughs) It was weathered because it had borne the storm. It had survived. Do you have a question, Mason? No? Okay. You're just praising the Lord with your hand. Amen. (laughs) So, we see here that Jesus was the stone. Well, just to make sure, let's bump up to 1 Peter 1, chapter 4, and I'm sorry, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, um, It says, to whom, verse, we'll start with verse 3, I'm sorry. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So who is gracious? Is Peter gracious? Who is gracious? The Lord Jesus is gracious. To whom coming as unto a what? Living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You can lean on Jesus Christ. He will not crack. You can bring to Him all your burdens, your questions, your perplexities, your worries, your anxieties, your concerns. You can bring to Him anything that you have to do. And you can build upon that rock and He will lift and support you. He will never crack underneath the weight of any problem. Nothing is too big. When we pray and we open up our hearts to Him, we should let open every corner. If we have temptations, and God forbid if we have given in to any of those temptations that we know are against His will, we can open that up to Him as well, and He will not crack underneath the burden. But He will take those sins, and He knows just what to do with them. Amen? He will cast them into the depths of the sea. Jesus will bear us up. Ephesians chapter 2, similar statement here. Ephesians Ephesians 2, 20 and 21. Right before Philippians. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So there's no question about who the rock is. Amen? It's Jesus Christ. Some people have said that this was Peter in Matthew chapter 16, who was that boulder upon which God's church would be built. But Peter himself disabuses us of that false notion by telling us, That it is the Lord that we come to is the living stone, the chief cornerstone upon which we are built, which also Paul affirms. And we should have no question when we go by the Bible and the Bible alone. Amen. I love the Bible because it's so clear. 
You know, I mean, it seems like a verse could go both ways. And then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything is established, right? And so you go by what the scripture says in totality. Now, notice what he also says to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now this might seem that Peter rather had an unwieldy amount of power given unto him, right? However, if you go just two chapters later to Matthew 18, let's go to Matthew chapter 18. You'll see that these keys were given unto the church of which any visible leader, though we have one, is required to employ only in harmony with the decisions of the global church. Does that make sense to you? So it doesn't mean that Peter now could just dictate every belief to the church. Notice with me. Matthew 18, verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Notice it doesn't say, bring the matter to Peter and he will decide it for you. Amen? It says, bring it unto the church. And then verse 18, Verily I say unto you, the church, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You lock things up with keys and you let them go with keys. This is talking about the keys of the kingdom. And they are given to leaders, yes, but only as they have the support of the global church. No story more aptly illustrates this than the story of Peter in Acts 15. There was a disagreement over whether or not people should be following the law of Moses with circumcision. Now, the death of Christ had nothing to do with whether or not we should refrain from murder and adultery and thievery. It has to do with are casting away of the old ordinances such as circumcision and certain days that were set aside outside the Ten Commandments as shadows of things to come. And what happened was there were certain people in the Jewish church, you know, there's something, it's hard to let go of something you've been doing your whole life, right? It's hard. You know, you're raised this way, your grandpa was doing that same thing and your grandma, it's difficult to let go of traditions. And so... It was hard to let go of this. And, and they took pride in the circumcision. They took pride in the rituals of the sanctuary service that had been fulfilled in the life of Christ. It had nothing to do with the Ten Commandment moral law. It had to do with the law of Moses. And there was a group of people in Acts 15. They were trying to persuade others to abide by the Mosaic law and... Verse 
2 of chapter 15 says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And so there was not one single arbiter. Amen? In fact, we'll find out that Peter actually took the wrong position here. Paul rebuked him in Galatians. Paul rebukes Peter in Galatians. He says that I rebuke... In fact, he... Let me, let me find this text here. Unfortunately, I didn't write down the text. I apologize. But uh, let's go to Acts chapter 15. I'm sorry? Galatians 2, 7 and 8? Okay, let's go to Galatians 2, 7 and 8. My daughter might have the answer for me here. Aren't kids great? Galatians 2... Is it Galatians 2, 7, and 8? Um, let's see. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, no, not, not this one. There's another one where... Okay, verse 11. Thank you. You got me to the right chapter. Thank you, Crystal. Verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be what? Blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So there were some people that were saying, we should not be in fellowship with the uncircumcised. And because of those that were saying this, Peter pretended that he wasn't a brother to the Gentile Christians. Oops. Paul called him out on it. He rebuked him to his face. Obviously, Peter was not the arbiter of things that were in heaven and earth. Amen? The keys were actually given to the church. And so what did they do? They had a meeting in Acts chapter 15. And the results of that meeting, they then passed on to the church in the entire world Field. Isn't it good that God has not entrusted the leadership of His church to one man only? It is so good that we have the safety of a conference, a general conference of delegates that come from all over the world. Whose church is this? It's Christ's church. Notice the counsel we have been given. There have ever been in the church those who are constantly inclined toward individual independence. They seem unable to realize that independence of spirit is liable to lead the human agent to have too much confidence in himself and to trust in his own judgment rather than to, to respect the counsel and highly esteem the judgment of his brethren, especially of those in the offices that God has appointed for the leadership of his people. God has invested his church with special authority and power which no one can be justified in disregarding and despising, for he who does this despises the voice of God. The church that you're sitting in today is a part of a global 
church. It's a church that is more widespread than any other Protestant denomination. If you go to France or you go to Zimbabwe or if you go to Romania on the Sabbath day, you can enter into a church which is not led at the whims of the minister to teach any heresy or truth he might be inclined to teach without repercussions, but he is bound to share the word of God as it is understood by the global body in consultation, as we see in the book of Acts. And there is safety in the multitude of counselors. Amen? There's safety in that. Now, what about church discipline? Well, it's very simple. If someone decides to be a part of an organization, then they pledge to uphold the principles which that organization also pledges to uphold. So it doesn't mean that we're being unfair if we say, well, in order to become a member, then you must adhere to the Bible teaching as understood by this church. It makes complete sense, right? I mean, why would I pay someone to undermine what I'm doing in the work that I accomplish to do or hope to accomplish to do, right? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, let me hire you to do some work for me and undo everything I'm doing. Like the termination is going to be very soon, right? Unless there's a turnaround, okay? And so we're coming to a time in earth's history where everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But we need to press together. We need to come together in unity and plead for God to bless our leaders. We're coming up to something called annual council, which every year our church has the uh, administrators from all the unions and divisions come together somewhere in the world, and they discuss things between the general conference, which happens every five years. And today is a day of prayer and fasting set aside for that. So I would encourage eating lightly at potluck, <laughs> but uh, not necessarily abstaining from food totally. Um, but uh, Or for some other meal today, maybe for supper, um, you know, making that more of a prayer time. We're going to be doing some of that down in Ardmore. And uh, really praying for our church uh, church leaders. In conclusion, this is the hope that we have. The hope that we have is that God has not left the world without a representative church of His will. He's always had a people, and that people have always been organized. In fact, the Bible says, let everything be done decently and in order. Let me just give you a few texts on that. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now the good news is that the power in the church comes from the people who appoint delegates to the general conference session. And so when we obey the, the, the voice or the, the people that have rule over us, that rule according to our decisions, we're in essence obeying to Christ, obeying Christ who has given his church the authority to decide on matters of doctrine and practice. 
So he has placed this organization for us to be submissive to the decisions that are made. However, we also have input into those decisions. So it's the principle of reciprocity, reciprocals, you know, that having had input at higher levels, we must then be submissive to the decisions that are made at the higher level. Amen? You can't get together and say, well, we're going to vote on an issue, we're going to decide, and everyone gets to speak their mind, and then there's a decision we say, well, we're actually not going to do that, we're just going to forget we ever took a vote. <laughs> you know, you can't do that. And God can can lead his church. He's protected his church. Well, what about the Jewish leaders? He didn't protect that church. Well, they didn't allow the people to have the say. They had to come and get Jesus when? At night, when no one was watching. We need to be very careful about people that say, well, a small group of pastors or theologians or educated people made these decisions for us, so we should just follow. Oh, no. It is the world council that we are submissive to because Jesus' last day church is a world church. And finally, a couple more texts here. Remember them which have the rule over you, Hebrews 13, 7. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 14. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. May we build on the rock and yet be submissive to one another in church fellowship.